My name's Robert Yanis Jr., and I'm the fastest man alive. Okay, well, maybe not the fastest man alive. Actually, I'm not really fast at all. Maybe uh, the fastest podcast... No, I'm not the fastest podcaster either. Maybe the... um, uh, uh, Fuck it. Let's just start the show. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts on the long-awaited crossover musical episode of The Flash and Supergirl on the CW. But before I get to that, I want to share first my thoughts on Game of Thrones. You may have heard of this show. It's uh, it's you know it's a little known a little known series. Been on you know a couple years, whatever. But uh, Kai and I finally started watching this. Uh, about a m- couple months ago, a month, or, well, maybe a few weeks ago, I'd say, because you know we have a newborn, or I guess an infant now at the house, and it doesn't. We're not able to really run through shows as much as we would like, so we finally got around to watching Game of Thrones season one, and uh, just after years of people saying, "Oh, you don't watch Game of Thrones? You should watch Game of Thrones," you know, friends and family and all of that. We just figured, you know what, maybe we should just watch it so we can at least be up to date on the series before it ends, uh, since it does have, bio reports, a couple seasons left, a couple abbreviated seasons left before HBO calls it quits. So, of course, going into it, I knew way more about the story than I should have, including the, you know, the shocking death at the in the finale. Fuck it. Ned Stark dies. <laughs> That's not a spoiler six years later. Um... He, he loses his head and then ends up on a spike. Um, uh, so I found the storyline overall pretty engaging. Uh, didn't know the details of a lot of it. I had the broad strokes. I knew that Joffrey was going to end up king. I knew Ned Stark was going to die. I knew something with Daenerys and dragons and uh, sort of the general direction of things, but not the details of, of everything. And I certainly didn't know... Uh, the full extent of the ensemble cast and the seemingly dozens of characters that happen on that show. It really helps to watch this with subtitles just because there are so many names that that are referenced, uh, some of which are talked about way, way before you even meet them. I, mean, I know Tywin Lannister is one example of that. We finally get Charles Dance showing up as him. I think maybe it's like episode 7-ish. It's at least midway through the season. Um... So uh, the plot moves so fast that it, sometimes it's difficult to keep track of everyone. So Kai and I often be like, wait, wait what, what, what's going on? Who's this guy? Oh, okay, got it. Having to sort of consult with each other to make sure we're, we're both on the same, on the same page with that. Um, but it has an interesting sort of Arthurian style going on amid all the, the sex and extreme violence that, that uh, reminds you that you are watching something that's clearly made for HBO and not network uh, traditional network television. I mean, decapitated horses, uh, you know, people eating hearts. There's like hardcore doggy style sex scenes. Uh, not hardcore because it's not, let's not go there. But it's like uh, very spirited sex scenes. Let's go there with it. Um, but of course, you know the the tone that they're trying to go for, which. To me, very, when, when the show was first announced and when I first started seeing promos for it and that kind of thing, it did seem very Lord of the Rings-esque to me, um, albeit on a, on a much more adult level. The involvement of 
dragons and you know fantasy elements as well as Sean Bean it probably didn't didn't uh, help with that comparison but uh, I think that now having seen the show it does clearly create its own niche and it makes a lot of sense why it has become such a phenomenon um, just you know because there is nothing like it on television right now and in the realm of fantasy or elsewhere it's it's got a very it, it basically has the market cornered as far as that kind of storytelling uh, the acting was strong across the board um, my two favorites and I Freddie mentioned when I told Freddie uh, what I thought of the season overall Freddie apparently said that these two are the most popular characters or like everybody's fan favorites obviously Tyrion so I, you know I knew about that I knew he was basically one of the standouts and Daenerys I I, uh, I didn't really have much exposure to Amelia Clark before watching this other than uh, Terminator Genesis um, which is not really the best example of anyone's uh, talent um, so I didn't really have much of a much of a I didn't really have much feeling one way or another about her so uh, but I really found her storyline and the way she her character evolved over the 10 episodes from this more passive character who was essentially sold into an arranged marriage um, by her brother who oh man that guy I'm so glad that guy died and he had such a great death scene with the the uh, oh spoilers for Game of Thrones um, <laughs> obviously not um, with the the metal being poured on him and and the the crown that was that was that was really cool and uh, I really liked seeing Daenerys or Khaleesi's uh, evolution over the course of the season and I'm looking forward to seeing where where the subsequent seasons take her we already have season two in hand thanks again to Freddie for letting us borrow his box sets and uh, you know I'll, I'll be sure to report back and let you all know what I think of the show as as I uh, Kai and I get further along I'm really hoping that I can push out so much of what I've learned as a student of pop culture just from the last six years of hearing so much about the show and uh, picking up little bits and pieces of Hodor and uh, and Battle of the Bastards and shame and all of that. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not as enthusiastic a fan as a lot of people are, but I'm only 10 episodes in and um, definitely curious to see what happens. Um, the finale definitely left me hanging and wanting to see more. Um, as soon as possible. Kai and I already actually have already seen the season two premiere, um, and you know, hoping to make more time to get to that very soon. So I'll keep you all, all posted on that. So without any further delay, let's move into my thoughts or review of the Flash duet. What the hell is going on? You're in a movie musical. Just follow the yellow brick road. No, what's wrong with you? No, the, the script. Follow the script. Yeah, that the boys were going to war. Although I should mention if you die in here, you die out there. Alright, so those of you who haven't listened to the past couple episodes, and if you haven't, you know, what are what are you waiting for? I talked about Moonlight, I talked about Logan. Um, I've basically introduced a new format for the show where for the central review, for the featured review or the feature presentation, what uh, if you if you will. Um, we have five different categories that we run through, and though the Flash duet is not a uh, is not a film, I'm going to be reviewing it as such, since it is a television event, and since I wanted to talk about Game of Thrones already, I sort of figured that it made sense, it made sense to basically just make this a television-centric episode of the Crooked Table Podcast. Um, so moving forward, we're going to take our first category, the hype, 
So there was a lot of rumors about a musical crossover episode of The Flash and Supergirl long before it was actually announced. Uh, both Grant Gustin and Melissa Benoist, of course, were on Glee prior to becoming uh, superheroes over on the CW, and I was a fan of of both of them on uh, on that Fox series, which I mentioned on the podcast in, in the past. Um, and, you know, considering the standard for musical TV episodes is probably still Buffy, which is a pioneer of these types of shows, I was really interested in the prospect of a musical episode with these actors from the very beginning. Uh, thankfully, the world of comics is so open to story possibilities, much like Buffy, that having, having The Flash and Supergirl breaking into song doesn't really feel like that much of a stretch. I mean, once you had giant shark man monsters and a bazillion people that know how to run really fast, it, it, your, your suspension of disbelief will, will it'll be a lot easier to, to stretch just a little bit further into the musical realm. Um, so when Darren Chris was announced, as I mentioned, being a fan of Glee, I was, I was really excited to see him play the music meister. Yeah, part of me was a little disappointed that Neil Patrick Harris wasn't going to be playing the role that he originated on Batman the Brave and the Bold, providing the voice talent there. However, because of Glee and my connection to all three of these actors and their past history of singing and dancing on the, on the small screen before, uh, the thought of the three of them reuniting on screen was really too good to pass up. Um, ironically, Gustin and Benoist never really shared any screen time on Glee, but Chris uh, and his character of Blaine shared a lot of screen time with both of them over the course of the show. Of course, he came in in season two, and um, uh, Gustin played in season three and a little bit in four, whereas Benoist was really four and five. So there was a little bit of overlap with uh, Darren Chris, but not so much with... Um, Grant Gustin and Melissa Benoist. Um, so with all the excitement about the Glee turned Arrowverse fans and everything, uh, all the people that you watched that were fans of these actors like me on Glee coming over into the Arrowverse, uh, how, how did the show pull it off? Like, how did they do? Did, did it live up to the hype? So that takes us into the story and spoilers, we're going to be going full spoilers for, for this episode. I mean, if you're a hardcore fan of the show, The Flash, or the Super, or Supergirl, or Glee, probably, you will have watched this episode probably already by now. Um, I saw it on the app the day a day or two after after it aired, uh, just because I didn't have, I, you know, I have a busy schedule. I didn't have time to sit there on Tuesday night. But I have since watched it uh, on the CW app, and I recommend you guys do that if you haven't... Um, if you haven't watched it before you listen to this episode. So the story was easily the weakest element of the episode, sadly. Um, Duet is episode 17 of Flash season 3, and it picks up on the end of the previous episode of Supergirl. In that way, it's not really a two-parter. It's similar to the way the four-part invasion crossover was not really a four-part crossover. It was really just Barry showing up for two seconds at the end of Supergirl and then her crossing over into the other three shows. And um, so those of you that were hoping to see a legit crossover involving the full gamut of both casts, uh, that just wasn't in the cards, apparently. From what I've heard, it's something involving the production schedule for Supergirl that they're not really... It's it's kind of hard for them to, to pull that off. Um... But, you know, maybe in the subsequent seasons they can address that. 
um, make it a little easier for Supergirl to cross over into the other series. Or, as has been heavily rumored, we'll get in a crisis on infinite Earths in which they will all exist in the same universe, finally. So, first of all, also, those of you hoping to see Music Meister follow suit with previous depictions of the character will definitely be left wanting from this episode. Uh, in fact, his powers here barely have to do with music, as they once did. Instead, the musical conceit is really pinned on Barry and Kara and their love of musicals, and them dealing with um, romantic strife in their in their uh, respective relationships with Iris and Monel, and the music meister sort of, um, you know, feeding off of their innermost desires to create the illusion that they're that they're trapped in. <clears throat> so. Instead of having Barry and Kara be sort of hypnotized by the Music Meister, as happened on Batman the Brave and the Bold, they end up pretty much sort of trapped in a basically pretty bland musical romance world, um, at least from my perspective. It would have been a lot more fun to see Music Meister invade Central City, have them in costume, Flash and Supergirl, I mean, uh, have them in costume, trying to stop him from committing crimes, and then being sort of thwarted along the way. However, you know, I think maybe part of why they didn't do that for The Flash might have been because that would have been maybe a little bit too close to what Buffy did, where they, they, didn't, they didn't have the, the will to stop themselves from, um, from singing. It was sort of a spontaneous thing that then, uh, then kind of carried over into everyone's individual storyline at that point. Uh, instead, but... With this episode, we get something a lot more, a lot more akin to Earth Two and some of the alternative versions of characters that we've already seen and that we know and love, and the arc for both Barry and Kara here to forgive and cherish the love that they have again with Iris and Monel, respectively, really repeats elements that both shows have already addressed in recent weeks. We already had Barry um, propose to Iris, them fight, them sort of reconcile, and then them sort of break up again, only to reunite. Spoilers by episodes end here. We already saw Kara doubting or, or feeling like she didn't want to forgive Monel for lying to her. And, and just so you guys know, I, I do regularly watch both shows and I am up to date on everything going on, on on both of them, which is why I was so, I'm so excited every time Supergirl and Flash cross over. Those shows do have such similar sensibilities and they, they do really mesh uh, particularly well. I'm never, I haven't really gotten into Arrow or Legends uh, thus far. And, I mean, at this point, with so much so many TV shows popping up that I'm interested in, it's, it's kind of a question whether or not I will ever really get full bore into those shows the way I have these two. But Kara uh, was already trying to figure out if she wanted to forgive Monel or sort of feeling that she was wronged and almost was quasi-inspired by Wynn forgiving Lyra, and instead of that last scene with her and Monel, with her forgiving him, um, and then just proceeding as normal, she stands her ground and then forgives him here because she learned the same lesson because of the music meister that she learned uh, by the end of the previous episode of Supergirl with Wynn and Lyra and that whole storyline, which the Win Lyra thing was sort of serving as a parallel to the Kara Monel thing, but here it's just the Barry Iris thing serving as a parallel to the Kara Monel thing. So uh, that just just seemed really repetitive, and I think part of that was by design, so that if people that don't watch The Flash, um, but watch Supergirl, watch the crossover, or vice versa, 
they uh, they didn't feel like they missed anything when they came back to their show, um, story-wise, and the narrative sort of functions just as well without if you if you take the musical episode out. Which then, to me, sort of begs the question: Well, why bother doing it then? Why not make it a part of the uh, part of the narrative of both seasons of both shows' subsequent uh, respective seasons, as opposed to having it be sort of amount to essentially a filler episode? It should have been a, a fulcrum for both shows, or at least for Barry, if not for for uh, Kara. Uh, there was, of course, a lot of fun character interactions between the Flash and Supergirl cast. Uh, Martian Manhunter's reveal to Team Flash, in particular, was was really fun, and the the brief uh, the brief team up between Kid Flash and Martian Manhunter. Uh, I really liked the uh, the way that Wally's storyline sort of dovetailed into Kara and Barry's, in that it was a bit of a redemption tale, but it wasn't it wasn't overly uh, it wasn't particularly uh, heavy handed. It was more subtle, and it, it was allowed to have its few scenes that it needed to. Uh, to establish itself, but not really take over the show or be competing with the two leads uh, for screen time. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than those few cool character moments like Caitlin and Cisco's reactions to basically everything, or Monel playing off the team, or HR making comments, it did really feel like the overall plot of the Music Meister's plan and the lesson he was trying to teach them, and uh, the world in which Kara and Barry were sort of sucked into uh, was very paper thin and it made little to no sense upon even the cursory analysis it just felt like a tremendous and I told Kai and I talked about this afterwards she basically agreed with me it just felt like a tremendous missed opportunity to create something really special with these two characters so moving into the cast thankfully what does work about the episode is the cast um, Gustin and Benoist are, are infinitely likable and their chemistry together has never been stronger than it is in this episode it's really funny to me and this happens most of the time when they're on screen together how Barry gets so submissive around someone like Kara I mean usually he's like usually he he's a little more of the leader type but then when she's around she she makes jokes about oh I could click my heels together three times and he's like yeah yeah you should do that and then she has to be like no no I'm kidding I'm not I'm not all powerful I may be an alien and I may have all these powers that you don't have but um but I'm, I'm not you know I'm not a, I'm not a god uh to, to that regard so uh it's really funny how that dynamic shifts whenever they're on screen together and you know it's no surprise again with with their their glee experience it's no surprise that both of them can really sing and dance though it did really bug me that grant gustin takes forever to finally take part in the musical side of things um i mean it's not until the super friend number that i think is what two-thirds of the way through the episode where he even sings more than a bar um or so and and, and that was that was frustrating i mean we get kara singing in the opening the opening number of the show basically while the credits are still running and Barry barely sings until the show is, like, kind of reaching the third act. Uh, it was, you know, as far as the other the other uh, cast members, Chris Wood really meshed pretty easily with uh, Danielle Pennebacher and Carlos Valdez. And, of course, Candace Patton continues to be the heart of the show. The Flash, I'm saying, obviously. Um, in many ways, um, this was a big episode for West Allen shippers like me out there. And I'll get to that in a little bit more when I talk about the music in a second. Um, but but uh, it was that their love story has always really been 
um, one of the major through lines on the flash that's really emotionally grounded me to the show as well as you know joe's uh, parental guidance to to both characters actually and and wally uh but the the west allen aspect of this show has always been one of the ones that I, I've felt the most drawn into on the, on just a human storytelling level, in addition to all the over-the-top comic book stuff that, that is so much fun to watch. As far as the, the episode's many guest stars, um, Chris was really spirited in his turn as the music meister. There were little flickers of Blaine's kind of bravado that, that he uh, weaved into his performance here, but he didn't really have nearly enough screen time. In fact, he barely sang or danced in here, save for the one group number that I'll mention uh, in a little bit here. It just felt like the show was trying to squeeze too many Arrowverse actors into this episode based on the fact that they can sing in real life and uh, and having little regard for whether or not it actually made sense for them to narratively play a part in the story at hand. Of course, though, it's, it's kind of hard to deny stage veterans like John Barrowman, Victor Garber, Jesse L. Martin, the spotlight that they, you know, they, they, they're so they're so great at and they're so magnetic and they have such rich voices. Um, but to me, honestly, the biggest surprise was Jeremy Jordan and Carlos Valdez as, of course, Wynn and Cisco. And uh, I knew they could, I knew they could sing going into this. I'd heard that Jeremy Jordan was, um, was in the cast of Newsies at one point, the, the Broadway revival, I believe, and, and uh, uh, that Carlos Valdez was, I believe, uh, was one of the original star kids with with Chris, so that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty neat that there was another reunion a little bit there for them, um, but they really brought such showmanship to their number and and elevated the material that they were given. They had such great great voices that even though I knew they could sing, I hadn't heard them sing. So uh, actually seeing them in this episode, considering that they're sort of like the the uh, the best friends of their respective heroes. I feel like I'm saying respective a lot. I have to. I have to watch that. Sorry about that. Um, it was. It was fun to see them partnered up in this in this episode uh, with that number and and actually you know have have a sequence all to their uh, all to themselves. Uh, also, also not enough Tom Cavanaugh in this episode. Unfortunately, there's there's never enough Tom Cavanaugh. I mean, since season one when. Harrison Wells was uh, ultimately revealed to be the big bad spoilers for Flash, I guess. Um, every season, he's been a joy to watch, and uh, every time HR utters anything in any episode this season, it's been a lot of, it, it's been uh, it's been with that over enthusiastic, uh, wanting to be helpful but also getting in the way vibe that this particular version of Harrison Wells has brought to the show. Um, so it would have been fun for me to see a little more Tom Cavanaugh, uh, possibly even singing. Maybe, you know, maybe down the line we'll get another one. And, and you know, we'll talk about that in a second. So going into the production. So uh, for those of you who haven't listened to my last couple episodes on Logan and Moonlight using this format, the production to me is basically a catch-all uh, category that delves into, you know, whatever parts of the production stood out to me, either were egregiously good or egregiously bad, um, whatever, you know, that could be the visual effects, that could be, that could be the, the art direction, that could be the score, blah, 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 whatever. So for this episode, obviously this is a musical, so let's focus in on what really sets this one apart, the music. Um, unlike the Buffy musical episode, and I don't mean to compare it to that, but anytime any of these shows, any of these shows has a musical episode, let's, let's be honest, we're always comparing it to Buffy to Once More With Feeling and how great that episode is and how it pushes all the stories forward and how the music was so catchy. I have the soundtrack 
that I listened to. I haven't listened to in a while, actually, so I might have to bust that out. Um, but unlike Buffy, this episode, Duet didn't really rely on entirely original music. So, you know, while it's great hearing Benoist's lovely version of Moon River or or the aforementioned Win Cisco number, Put a Little Love in Your Heart, which always makes me just think of Scrooge whenever I hear it. I just picture Bill Murray being like, Feed me, Seymour, feed me. Is, am I the only one? Tweet, send me a tweet at Cookie Table. Let me know if that was, if your mind just kept going back to Scrooge. Um, even though I know the song existed before that. Uh, that number was fun. The the song selections really, though, for the, for the most part, barely related to the story at hand. It felt to me like one of the weaker episodes of Glee. And again, and I'm making another comparison, but our three major characters here were all Glee alums. So sorry, people, it's going to happen. Uh, it felt like the weaker episodes of Glee, in which a song is shoehorned into an episode to fit a theme rather than the theme sort of organically coming off of the the, uh, the musical episodes, or rather than the songs being selected because they communicate something about the characters. There's really no theme in sight here. There's just a, a random mishmash of well-performed, though momentum-killing tunes. Uh, there were two original songs at play. And uh, no surprise, they were actually probably the, the ones that related to the story the most, and probably the most, two of the more, most, more successful ones for me personally. So we had Super Friend, which was co-written by the CW's own Rachel Bloom of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and Running Home to You, which we'll, I'll get into more de- uh, depth in a second. So the former one is, of course, the duet between Bar- uh, Barry and Kara in which the two playfully profess their friendship for one another, complete with a dig at Superman uh, that should really make those inevitable uh, Justice League meetings pretty awkward, if you ask me, between Flash and Superman. Uh, So let's hope that he never hears about this. But since I'm not really familiar with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, despite the positive things I've heard about it, the style of the song was really jarring to me, especially when when you put it after more classical songs like Moon River, or the the guys and dolls number that the uh, the veteran Broadway performers uh, you know carried out like midway through the episode, the style here didn't really really mesh with anything, and it and it felt kind of out of nowhere the the jokey like sing songy like talk talky way that it that that the quirky humor brought from it, even though it fit that char- those characters had the show opened and, and established that tone right out the gate, the song, that number might have worked for me better, but like I said, there's no there is no connective tissue behind the music here. We get a sense that Moon River was basically only picked because Benoist sings it really well, for example, and the fact that Gustin didn't sing a bar really until Superfriend made, uh, made it a little bit of a too little too late for me, um, personally. So, however... Running Home to You completely floored me. Um, I've always thought Gustin had a solid voice. Um, you know, we've, we all, rem- all of us that watch Glee definitely remember his um, debut number on the show, which I think was a Smooth Criminal duet with uh, Naya Rivera Santana. And I always thought he had a solid voice, but he really brought his game up here. And, and it's making me reconsider his talent as a vocalist. The fact that he sings it right before he proposes to Iris, and I know, yes, again. Um, despite the fact that that was, again, sort of repetitive storytelling, it, it made the moment really that much more memorable uh, for me personally, being a huge West Allen shipper. Uh, like I said, the Barry Iris love story is easily the strongest across the entire Arrowverse. And uh, the, the, uh, the metaphor of running home to you and oh, he runs fast, I thought that was really elegantly handled um, in the songwriting itself. 
So later on, when I did research after watching the episode, and I found out that that one was actually written by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who just won an Oscar for their songwriting work on City of Stars for La La Land, another film that I've I've talked about quite a bit recently on here. Um, looking that up really made it clear why that song was such a standout for me. And yes, I did buy it on iTunes, and yes, I, I do love it. And uh, it it's definitely was the, the moment from that episode that I'll remember the most and the song that I'll probably revisit the most. The fact that it, none of it, that it, it's the only one that does not take place in that goofy, like, 1940s, 1920s, whatever, style musical movie bullshit that they were caught up in really I think says a lot about the fact that 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 whole premise did not really work for me uh, at all and I I just wish that they had taken a totally different approach with it so moving into the verdict uh, overall duet was a was a really fun episode Um, it did really it did fail to deliver on the promise that that it was set out by by the uh, the concept of doing a musical episode with these actors from across the Arrowverse, but specifically the two who are, you know, who are Glee alum. Uh, The cast does what they can with a pretty weak story and a very mixed bag of musical selections, but still the charm of Gustin Benoist and their respective supporting casts makes it enjoyable enough to serve as a decent enough respite from the heavier storylines happening on both shows right now. I mean, I'm I'm talking specifically about the looming threat of Savitar and, you know, Iris's potential death, um... The Flash has been, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I'd say a touch darker than season two, but certainly darker than most of season one. Um, but Duet kind of gives a nice break from the the more serialized storytelling that the shows, both of them, normally, normally uh, are engaged in as they jump into the final stretch of episodes here in the coming weeks. With any luck, Duet will perform well enough in the ratings, and I haven't checked on them, but I, I'm, I mean, I think that's damn near guaranteed at this point, considering the Flash audience, the Supergirl audience, and the Glee audience that will be turning in to watch Darren Chris sing, you know, s- share the screen with his former co-stars here. Um, but hopefully the ratings are strong enough that Darren Chris can come back as the music meister and return to wreak some more musical havoc next season. Or, you know, if this becomes a regular thing, I would be, I would be fine with that. Let's just hope that when that does happen, the creative team behind the episode takes a bit more time on the story behind it all and and is a little more careful of the songs that they select or the songs that they write. I, maybe going all original next time might be a better way to go um, since those two numbers were the ones that stood out to me the most. Just having Barry and Kara not even really be Barry and Kara and singing songs that we've heard elsewhere, it, it does, does not cut it, especially for an episode that had this much hype behind it. And it was it was decent, but ultimately a bit of a letdown for me. For the episode as a whole, I'd probably have to go about three out of five, which is which is solid, but sort of unremarkable. And considering all the promise that they had here and everything that this could have been, um, it's a mild disappointment on my end. You know, still very much invested in both shows, still um, optimistic about their season finales. And where they can take this going forward, bringing Music Meister back again and improving upon this. Um, but those are just my thoughts on Duet as a standalone episode. So that'll be that's that's all for my thoughts on the Flash Duet. 
Um, just to give you guys an idea of what I'm going to be getting into next week. I was initially actually planning on talking about some Power Rangers stuff uh, this week, but considering that next episode, uh, well, seeing the Flash musical and realizing I had more thoughts about it than I expected to, and the the fact that I will then have seen Power Rangers, the new Power Rangers film, by the next by the time I record the next episode, we're basically going to have a Power Rangers extravaganza in the next uh, next episode. We're going to be focusing on, of course, a. Uh, similarly formatted review of Power Rangers 2017, as well as my uh, my thoughts and sort of run-through of a retrospective on the original episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers from 1993. Uh, that's right, folks. We're talking Day of the Dumpster and uh, Rita Repulsa and Goldar and all their cheesy, ridiculous early 90s glory. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, I actually, those of you that want to catch up on some of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers stuff, they seem to have most of the Power Rangers series, um, not just the original, but the different incarnations of it on Netflix. I I just streamed Day of the Dumpster from there. So if you want to look into some of that and maybe watch that episode before I record the next episode, then we can... Then you can uh, you, you can sort of have it fresh in your mind as I discuss it, um, and then the following week, um, I'm actually planning a, a uh, kind of a an extra special episode that I'm currently brainstorming right now, and I'd rather not speak of it just yet because I'm 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 trying to figure out exactly what specifically I want to talk about, but you know definitely keep in, keep checking for that. As you can tell from the last few episodes, I'm trying to keep this on a regular weekly. Um, schedule. Uh, posting on posting on Fridays seems to work for me right now. Um, and if that changes, obviously I will mention it on here and, and uh, try and try and target something that's a little more uh, efficient for me. Schedules might be changing in the next couple weeks between me and Kai and our, our work situations and all that. So um, definitely stay tuned to, uh, to some really interesting stuff coming up on the Cricket Table podcast in the near future. As for now, if you want to follow me on Twitter at Crooked Table, you can find the Crooked Table on uh, Facebook. I'm also on Tumblr. I'm also on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm also on where pretty much you name it, I'm on it. And if I'm not on it, send me a tweet at Crooked Table and be like, "Hey, man, why are you not on this one?" And then uh, I'll, I'll, you know, make an account and I'll be on there too. So uh, let me know what you think of this episode. What did you think of the Flash musical uh, musical episode with uh, Supergirl? Did it live up to your expectations? Was it all? Did you also feel like it was a bit of a letdown, or am I am I alone here? You know, uh, recording a podcast into the void. Um, let me know what you think of that. What do you want to hear me talk about next time? Uh, or you know, not next time. I already told you what I'm talking about next time. What you want to hear me talk about in subsequent episodes? I'm always open to your feedback, and I really appreciate you listening to this. So uh, I'll see you next week. Until then, roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>